Hello, and welcome to the Irish Memory Box, brought to you by Irish Community Services. ICS is an immigration and social services provider located in Chicago. The Irish Memory Box fosters a more vibrant sense of community by connecting people of Irish heritage from different generations. It is a new way for Irish generations to communicate and learn from each other. Today, Ambassador Dan Mulhall will be interviewed by Mallory. Mallory, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yes, hi, my name is Mallory Turner. I'm a sophomore at Fenwick High School in Oak Park, Illinois. I'm also a competitive Irish dancer and I've been dancing for about 12 years now. Um, I've actually had the chance to visit Ireland and I was able to see some of my relatives who live in County Mayo. So I'm always excited for an opportunity to learn more about the Irish culture. Awesome, thanks Mallory. And Ambassador, would you be able to tell us a bit about yourself? I was born in Waterford in the southeast of Ireland. Um, I've, um, I studied at University College Cork, um, where I did an MA in Irish history. And I've been in the Foreign Service for more than 40 years now, I hate to say, but it's true. So I've been a long time around the tracks and I've always uh, enjoyed connecting with the Irish community and nowhere more than here in the United States with a, such a wonderful and diverse and uh, really um, passionately Irish uh, community. Although in many cases, they may be generations removed from Ireland, but they still have that love for Ireland, which is really uplifting for an ambassador to experience. Okay, my first question is, where were you born? Well, I was born in Waterford City uh, in the southeast of Ireland. And uh, Waterford is the oldest city in Ireland. It was founded by the Vikings, believe it or not, in the year 914. So uh, very early on, uh, before that, there were no cities in Ireland. Ireland was a very rural country and there were small settlements, but no cities. So it was the first Irish city. It's a beautiful city. Uh, it's got, still got some old medieval walls and a lot of, um, a lot of old buildings. And it's got well, some wonderful museums reflecting the long history of the city. Um, it's not as well known as the west of Ireland, obviously, to American tourists uh, because they tend to, to flock to the west of Ireland for the wild Atlantic way. Waterford is part of what's called Ireland's ancient east which is the east coast of Ireland, where there's a lot of historical and even prehistoric um, landmarks that people can visit. So Waterford's well worth a visit. Uh, I happen to be a free man of Waterford, so I have to uh, fly the Waterford flag every now and then. Um, so did you grow up there? I did, yeah. I mean, in fact, I, um, my family were very unusual uh, in an Irish context, because remember, my, I mean, my parents were, were born in the 1920s, and... In the 40s and 50s, um, emigration from Ireland was, was, was going at a very, very high level, um, not only to the United States, but primarily to Britain, where, of course, in the, in the period after the Second World War, there was a big demand for labor, and Irish people flocked there in large numbers. And that's why there are still nearly three-quarters of a million Irish-born people in Britain, many of whom are people who went there in the, in the 50s and 60s. But my parents um, never left Waterford. They're both born in Waterford, grew up in Waterford, and were very strongly Waterford people. They were very, very proud of their Waterford heritage and so on um, and never really wanted to, uh, to leave my mother spent six months in London but but she said herself I ran home out of it and, and, and my mother was one of eight children and all eight spent their lives in Waterford so it meant that when I was growing up I never had a cousin coming back from Britain as most families did have because you know people came home for the summer so you got a sense 
from that of, of you know, immigration and the realities of immigration and so on. But in my case, all of my cousins were in Waterford. And I had no cousins, no family anywhere else in the world apart from Waterford. So it was a very tightly knit Waterford upbringing. And that's why I'm, I'm always kind of intrigued as to how I ended up as a diplomat with a kind of a global uh, reach, if you like. I've, I've lived in 10 countries because my, my, my upbringing wouldn't in any way point to somebody who would have had an interest in becoming an international um, traveler as I have been as a member of the Irish Foreign Service. Yeah, totally. Um... Where did you attend school and what did you study? Well, uh, I mean, I went to primary and secondary school in Waterford, a Christian Brothers school called Mount Sinai. It was the first Christian Brothers school in the world, founded in 1803 um, by a man called Edmund uh, Ignatius Rice. But when I went to college, you know, again, I wasn't that adventurous. In Ireland, you tend to go to the nearest college. It's not like America, where you kind of can go anywhere in the country and if you've got the, the, the resources, you can study wherever you want. Uh, in those days, at least, and still today, I think, to a large extent, people go to the nearest university. So I went to Cork, which is 70 miles from Waterford. And that was a, it's a lovely city, a beautiful campus, uh, founded in the 1840s. Um, when I was there, it had about 4,000 4, students. Now it has 25,000. So it's become quite a big university in the years since I was there. But when I was there, it was a very exciting time to be there because... Um, free education uh, had come in in Ireland. Uh, free second, free high school education had been introduced in the, 19, in the late 60s. So by the early 70s, when I went to college, a lot more people had finished high school and wanted to go on to college. So most of my friends at college were from families like mine who were going to college for the first time in their lives, first time in the family. They were the first members of the family uh, ever to go to college. And that was the case with me. No member of my family had ever been to college before. Most of them hadn't even finished secondary school uh, in the generation before me, but I was sort of this new groundbreaking generation of Irish people who were able to experience the delights of uh, higher education, and I certainly benefited hugely from that. Interesting. Um, where have you lived in your, throughout your life so far? Well, I, I started in Waterford. I went to Cork for a university. I spent uh, a number of years in Dublin as a young diplomat before I went abroad. I started my career overseas in India. Then I went to Australia. I took two years study leave and I, I did some further study in Australia, did some teaching there as well. Then I came back and went to Vienna. I then, I then went to, uh, uh, to Brussels uh, and then um, Edinburgh uh, and then uh, Malaysia, uh, Kuala Lumpur, where I covered Southeast Asia. I covered Vietnam, Laos and, um, and Thailand from Kuala Lumpur. And then um, I went to uh, Germany um, I went to London as ambassador, and now I'm ambassador here in the United States. So I've, I've, I've lived in 10 countries. Uh, I've been a, a diplomat in eight of those countries. Um, of course, in between my foreign postings, I also did jobs in Dublin. I was a member of the Irish delegation at the uh, talks that led to the Good Friday Agreement in 1998 that brought peace and um, prosperity, really, to Northern Ireland. Wow, that's amazing, Ambassador. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, I, I was there on the day, I mean, on the Good Friday, uh, when, when the agreement was, uh, uh, was reached and we stayed, in, the, stayed in, a, in, a, in a house which was kind of guarded by, you know, by police and army um, because at that time, you know, there were certain tensions there. So that, that was a memorable experience, certainly. And when we got back to Dublin, it was a great you know, relief to realize that we'd been part of a very historic uh, day, a very historic period in Irish history and uh, that we had achieved um, an outcome that was uh, positive and that has saved thousands of lives in the 20 years that have followed. Wow. So um, when you go to all these countries, do you have to know, like, 
a bunch of different languages to be able to talk to the people there? I speak, obviously, apart from English, I speak Irish pretty well. Uh, I speak French and German. And I have a little bit of Malay. I learned a little bit of Malay when I was in uh, Kuala Lumpur. But in most places, the language is either English or French. And if you know English and French, you're probably able to get on in, you know, in most places in the world. Obviously, the more you know about the local culture and language and history and so on, the better you are as a diplomat. But I would certainly recommend anyone going into diplomacy should certainly learn a few languages. Mm -hmm. um, which was your favorite place to live and why? Well... You have to kind of look at that in different ways, you know. Um, my favorite posting is definitely the United States. I'll tell you why. I'm not just saying that because you're American and because I'm talking to you. <laughs> no, not at all. It's because when you're a diplomat, an ambassador, one of the things that's, that really is important to you is that your work should be relevant. And the more relevant the work is, the happier you are. And the second thing is, is your country well received and is its relationship with the host country, in this case, the United States, valued by both sides? And the answer to both of those uh, questions is yes, in America, yes, yes, yes. In terms of, of lifestyle and, you know, and kind of, you know, uh, the enjoyment that, that you get from, from places. I mean, Kuala Lumpur was a marvelous hosting because, you know, we covered four, different countries um five actually because we also covered burma myanmar uh, at one stage so you know, traveling around southeast asia was fascinating you know you go from malaysia to thailand it's a different family of languages that are spoken in the two countries wow. right um, you know the malaysians are mainly muslims the thais are mainly buddhists right um you know the malaysians are basically from the the kind of period the place south you know you know in the, in the kind of Indonesia, you know, the archipelago down there, whereas the Thais are essentially coming from China. So you've got different races, um, different religions, different languages, and different cultures. And then you go to Vietnam, and it's an entirely different language, a different culture, a different history. So it's fascinating. I found that fascinating in particular to travel around Southeast Asia. So I really enjoy that. And then from the family point of view, and that's also important, by the way, because, you know, you, you're a diplomat, not just yourself, your family as well. And the family really enjoyed living in Edinburgh because our children did very well at school there, went to university and one of them has settled there, the other one's in London now. So from a family point of view, that was, that, that was, a, that was a memorable and very enjoyable. The, the most important quality you can have as a diplomat or as a, an international figure is, is curiosity. So I always go to a country yeah. think, I want to know more about this country. So I, I feel you come with a, a blank page to every country you, you, you're posted to. And over the four years, you fill in that page. Yeah, I'm sure it's so interesting to learn about all these cultures firsthand. Um, to be honest, I wasn't very familiar with the job of an ambassador, so I did a little research earlier this week. But I was wondering if you could give an overview of your role in the government for any listeners. Okay. I, I always think of it as having four strands, okay? The first is dealing with the government of the country that you are assigned to. So engaging with the government, both the, the White House and the government departments on the one hand and the Congress on the other. That's the first thing, political engagement. The second point is engaging with the Irish community in America. So 35 million people, I can't meet them all, but I can through traveling around the country, 
engaging with people, attending Irish events, using my Twitter account uh, at Dan Mulhall, I can kind of connect with Irish Americans. That's the second thing. The third thing is what I call economic promotion. In other words, promoting Irish exports to America, because America is our biggest export market, so our economy depends heavily on the American market and on Americans buying Irish products. And then, of course, there's also encouraging American companies to invest in Ireland. And the third area there uh, under economic promotion is promoting tourism from America to Ireland. So in 2019, last year, we had um, 2 million plus Americans came to Ireland. And this year, it's a much lower number. It's probably more like 100,000. So it's really gone down hugely. But hopefully next year, we'll see a huge surge in Americans going to Ireland again, because Americans do like going to Ireland, and the embassy works to try and encourage them to do so. And then finally, uh, what I call telling Ireland's story. So that's done by doing media events, doing events like this, giving lectures, speeches, working through our social media accounts and Twitter and Facebook to get the Irish message across. And then there's a final thing, which in some ways the most important, but it's one that, you know, it's, it's not high profile. It's not sort of, um, it's not glamorous, but, but it's, it's vital. And that is providing services to Irish citizens in America. The core thing that we have to do as, a, as diplomats is to look after Irish citizens in America. So how do you get like placed around in different places? Like how is that decided where you go? Um, now we have a system where, you know, if you're, if you're ready for posting and you want to go on an assignment, you get a list of, of, of countries that are available and you send your list in one to 10 or whatever. Uh, and then they try and match you with your choice. But of course, everyone wants particular places are very popular and like America is very yeah. popular. Yeah. Uh, so ultimately, uh, if 10 people apply for the job in Washington as ambassador, only one can get it. So that decision is made mm -hmm. by the foreign minister and by the, um, ultimately by the government. The government appoints ambassadors and then the president signs your credentials, which you hand over to the receiving uh, government, in this case, to the president of the United States. What's the biggest challenge of your job? Um, I think the biggest challenge is being away from home. I was away from, I was away from Ireland when my mother died, when my father died. I had to come home for funerals, but they had died by the time I, I, I got home. What are the perks of your job besides being all over the country? I'm sure that's interesting. Well, the greatest privilege is to represent your country. I mean, I'd love to represent my country at football or rugby or, or whatever, <laughs> but I, I, didn't have, I don't have another body for it, so I can't, I can't do that. The chance to be the representative of Ireland, that is the absolute uh, joy of this job that when you go abroad you speak and you represent your country um i mentioned before that i'm an irish dancer any chance you've tried irish dance before no um there's a program um i think it's on british television called strictly come dancing and uh, i always say i'm strictly come talking uh i can talk <laughs> um, I, I can talk a good talk i'm afraid i'm one of these kind of guys that I have two left feet, as my mother used to say, uh, and, uh, and uh, you know the rhythm of dancing. I mean, of course, dancing was important, by the way, um, when I was growing up, because the I mean, I went to a boys' school, and the two local girls' schools were invited, and our, our boys' school, and the boys were on one side of the room, the girls on the other, and the nuns were up in the balcony, and the brothers 
you know, uh, with whistles. And when they blew a whistle, you had to rush across the room and grab someone to dance with you. So it was important in our formation, <laughs> in our, our development. What traditions from other countries have you sort of adopted and found interesting? Well, actually, Thanksgiving is one that we really like. I mean, we, we had done it a couple of times over the years with American friends. But when we were here, the first, our first year here, we had a great Thanksgiving. You know, we, we, traveled, we traveled to friends in North, North Carolina. Uh, we've done it with uh, friends in Virginia, friends in Great Falls near Washington. So, and, and we decided that from now on, my wife and I will celebrate Thanksgiving wherever we are. As my last question, what advice would you give to any listeners who are interested in a government job similar to yours? Well, look, obviously, the first thing you have to do is get your qualifications. If you want to get in to any foreign service, I think you're going to have to have an honours degree. And most of our diplomats who come in now have a, have a postgraduate degree as well. So I think you have to get your qualifications first. That's, that's the key thing. To have other interests is important, right? Because, yeah. like, the fact is that the foreign ministry here in Ireland and also in America, I'm sure, and elsewhere too, they're not looking for the smartest, academically most brilliant person. You may be that, and that's fine. But they're looking for someone who's rounded. Um, thank you so, so much. It was such an honor to talk to you. You're very, so very welcome. It was an honor for me to talk to you. You're, you're a very bright young woman, and you have a very good future thank ahead of you, you. quite sure. Maybe even as an ambassador in the future, who knows? Thank you both for uh, doing this with me. I wanted to ask both of you, uh, Mallory, we'll start with you and then we'll move on to um, the ambassador. If you have any New Year's resolutions to share with the listeners? Um, wow. I, I really want to work on like self-motivation to do like to go out of my comfort zone and do like try new things um especially since school and everything's at home it's kind of hard to like like be like determined to do stuff and get stuff done so i'm really excited to work hard next year and hopefully it'll be better with the covid awesome thank you mallory ambassador anything to share with us well it's not so much a resolution it's more a hope and an expectation um so my hope for next year is that the world can return to some form of normality and that I can spend more time with my family that I've been separated from now for um, you know, nine months and another few months to go before we can probably get together again. And that's going to be, uh, so next year I think will be a joyous year. I, I hope it'll be a joyous year that, you know, as I often say to people, normal life didn't seem so wonderful until it became impossible to live a normal life. But now... Mm-hmm. Next year, normal life will seem like an absolute joy. And I, 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 I want to go into next year with that thought in my mind and really sort of savor every experience of next year that next year has to offer because it will represent such a contrast with the lives we've lived over the last nine months. That's, let's go into next year with the joy in our minds. So that brings us to the end of this episode. If you would like to capture Irish memories, please email me, grace at irishchicago.org. If you know someone with a story or two, let me know. The Irish Memory Box is yours.
thank you.